And I think a lot of leaders are questioning whether they want to be a leader at the moment. If you think about where organizations are going, the pressures, you know, all the pressure is landing on these leaders. Having the right mindset and strong sense of self is imperative to leading a team and scaling a business. Without the willingness to take risk or the tools to show up authentically, leaders and professionals can do a major disservice to themselves, their teams, and their clients. Colin Hunter is the founder and CEO of Potential Squared, a company dedicated to amplifying leaders' intrinsic qualities to help them build a culture that is more thoughtful, innovative, and experimental. Colin's approach is designed to create relationships with purpose by getting under people's skin and advising them at a much deeper level. In this episode, Colin shares his journey from being dissatisfied and unhappy in a corporate role to starting a business that fits with his core values, harnessing your creativity to make a difference, and building playgrounds to disrupt leadership. We'll discuss how Potential Squared accomplishes this and what challenges Colin has faced in helping others reach their full potential. What made you start Potential Squared? Yeah, Potential Squared. If you talk to my wife, who was part of the branding of the business, she would say, always say Potential Squared. But everybody calls us P2. Yeah, because I saw a lot of that too. So I was like, okay. We got called Pot Squared. I had an Australian client used to call us Pot Squared. Yeah. And it's like, where does Pot Squared come from? He says, well, I shortened it. So I've given you a new name. Yeah. As he was doing the brand review, he said, it's much easier, Pot Squared. It's like, really? No, keep it a P2, please. <laughs> I think your wife would have had something to say about that, right? She would have. Yeah. yeah. She's very forthright. Yeah. Um, why do we start the business? Yeah. Yeah. Tell, me, tell us a little bit about that. Tell me a little bit about that. Like, what was the impetus? What was the catalyst? Was it just one of those lifelong callings? Was it a combination of that and maybe just some events that were happening? Mm. Um, this is always just interesting to hear how a founder looks at the world and then starts something. Yeah, I was lucky. So if I go back, I was lucky. And but I always think about the Gary player, you know, the harder you practice, the luckier you get principle. But I was working Procter and Gamble and was made redundant. And so decided rather than go do anything, I would do an MBA for a year. So that's where this idea came from, but it wasn't conscious. So I was doing the MBA and suddenly I was being myself. So if I go back a few years from that, I'd had a breakdown. Um, I'd had a real moment of two weeks where I energy levels, mental energy, physical energy just went, was uh, basically in tears in my parents' house. And I went and saw a doctor and he said, you're not managing your energy levels, Colin, in your life. And therefore you're doing something you hate in a job. I was medical repping at the time, representative. Um, And you've got to change that because you know, you're trying to be somebody you're not and therefore it's causing you to lose all your energy. So I went and did this MBA and the link between that is I suddenly was, for a year I was by myself, being myself. Um, I was at Durham up in northeast of England. My favorite soccer team was playing amazing football. So we went and watched every soccer game. We went and I came back to the MBA classroom. I was surrounded by a a lot of people who were very senior in Ford and other places. And I, the, the common theme was I was myself and I was looking at everybody else going, I don't feel imposter syndrome anymore because I'm looking at you and I can do what you can do. If that's what it takes to be there, then 
this is this is me and this is the version of me that actually can do something and it was at the end of the MBA um I was looking for roles and one of the people who was on the MBA who was ex special forces went in an assessment center uh, and he failed and he said but if these are the behaviors you're looking for I'd recommend Colin and so it was by chance of me being myself on that MBA I got there so I turned up to a training organization called Oxford Group in UK and uh, met these people who were amazing and suddenly found my niche and first gig was teaching people coaching i'd never coached in my life before went up to edinburgh ran a coaching program and a client who was with me at the time always looked back and go i hate you and said why cuz cuz that was your first gig you never trained before and you suddenly were teaching us coaching and it worked so i'd found my niche i'd found my area and that's so it was 2001 where i eventually left the oxford group founded potential squared and it was cuz clients turned around and said we want to work you, with you directly why don't you set up your own business so four clients came with us and myself and my business partner started what was called Hunter Roberts at the time now called potential squared um and that's why I started it and I was they said come and experiment with us come and play with us that wasn't quite the language they were using but they said we want to take your creativity and your energy and make a difference directly so we did Tell me a little bit more about the beginning when mm. you were at Proctor and because mm. I think that's something that resonates with a lot of people, right? Is that trying to fit into something or be someone that they're not and it just wears on you. Like how long do you think that went on? Like for, was it years? Was it months before you figured that out? Yeah. So I, before that, I was with Arthur Anderson. So I was a chartered accountant tax trainee, which is even worse. I was sat in a booth doing tax computations. So when I got to Procter & Gamble, to start with, I loved it. Now, if you can imagine somebody flying along the motorway or the freeway in the UK in a car, pretending to be Tom Cruise and Top Gun, yeah, and going at speed, going to sales calls and ripping up the sales you know, uh, records in there, top salesperson, everything else. So I'd found a place that I could use my relationship building skills to do something um, that was successful. However, what I found was the uh, pharmaceutical sales was was soul destroyed because a lot of it was no, no, no. Um, and I didn't deal with rejection that well. So I wanted to build relationships, rapport, um, and the systems. And also in those days, we weren't allowed to, Procter & Gamble did not allow any, what would have seen, be seen as bribes or money or investment in the doctors. So we were pure and white, so we had to do it on, on our, our strengths. But it was that moment, probably it was too long, it was going for, where I was getting up in the morning, I was forcing the smile on my face. But there was a moment one morning I went to a doctor's surgery, seven in the morning, to drop off a card to go see the doctor later on. And I parked my car, went in, came out, and somebody had parked across me, and I had another call to go to. And I was really angry. I was in that mode of going, I can't believe it. I can't get my car out. And there was five homeless guys sitting there drinking at seven in the morning. And they saw me, and they said, mate, you, you okay? And I said, well, my car's parked here and I can't get out. And I'd, in the past, I'd said hello to them. So they said, well, no worries. So the five of them lifted this other car out of the way. They literally went and picked the car up, moved it out of the way and got me out of the way. So, you know, I gave them, 
gave him a five pounds or whatever it was and said, thank you very much. But it was as I was driving away, I had more connection with those homeless people in terms of their spirits and engagement and care than I had with a job. And I realized I was doing a soul-destroying job for somebody else. It was good products. I mean, we were doing something for osteoporosis, which was changing lives of people. So it wasn't about that, but it was about the, the process I was put through um, to do sales and manage the number of sales calls. I mean, this is how many sales calls you do, how many times you see a doctor. For me, I, I needed mm -hmm. one or two times, but it was about getting to see them. That was a soul-destroying bit. So from there... Um, sounds like you had a good coaching experience. Mm. As a coach in the beginning, was there a point or an experience that you had where you said, okay, this is it. This is my calling. You know, where you just had something, maybe it was a one-on-one, -on -one, maybe it was a small mm. group or some kind of speaking engagement, but there was some kind of feedback that you received that you, you were able to say, okay, yeah. I'm in. This is where I belong. I, I think the there was two points I think I could highlight. One was 9-11, where I was in 9-11. I was in Cape Town, South Africa. And we were doing a leadership program for Barclays Africa. And so therefore, the planes hit, life changed, and we were stuck in Cape Town. But the group I was stuck with, there was, if I remember rightly, there was six people from Rwanda in that group. So it's a large group, six people in Rwanda. And I remember going the next day and everybody was shocked by what had happened. We were uh, going, but, but we took the opportunity to have a conversation, a coaching conversation, to talk about what had happened yesterday and how we were feeling about it. And it opened up a whole conversation about the million people that had been killed in Rwanda um, and how that had shaped their leadership as a group and as a nation. And then we were talking about how it felt 9-11 um, and it, it was that moment that the depth and the power and the emotion of the conversations really got to me. And I was thinking, so those, some of those people in that room are still my good friends. And I realized then that that was what really motivated me, was to be part of a community that shifted the way people are leading uh, in the world, but to open up conversations. I mean, you know, there's 3,000 from the towers and the Rwandans were very sorry for that, but they were saying, so where was the world when a million people were murdered? Um, that is a, that's some conversation to have. So that was one of them that made me think, this is the depth of the conversations I need to have. But I think the second one was more recent where I started working with a client and I'd explored and experienced uh, design thinking. So it was all about experimentation, learn fast. Um, and I started working with my clients on a sales piece. I started to go, okay, so in this case, Maureen mm -hmm. Finn is a, a still a very good client friend. And we said, Maureen, are you willing to go on a journey? Are you willing to ex experiment? We'll probably fail quite a bit. Are you ready for that? But we'll push the boundaries and stretch it. Um, and we went on a journey that won us three awards jointly. Um, and those were tough times, but they were. it was the same thing. It was that power of that stretch, that emotion. You know, some of the times I'm sure when I was ringing her, she was like, oh, no, it's Colin. I was definitely on the, the phone thinking, I'm Maureen's ringing, something's gone wrong here. But the results out of it, yeah, transformational. So it was great. To, so those are the two bits that really made me go, yeah, this is, I found my niche.
Yeah. So I remember the last time you and I talked, um, I think it was an introduction we had very similar to this. Um, and we both geeked out on, yeah. I think it was morning routines, um, sleep routines, mm-hmm. eating, exercise. Yeah. And it was just one after another, each one of us talking about what we do and the lessons that we had learned along the way and why we do it, right? Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about what are some of the trends that you're seeing out there right now? So, mm-hmm. so leadership, right? There's definitely an awareness in society and business that leadership is something that people can develop that skill. Mm. However, there's so many behavioral um, complexities. Everybody's wired different. Mm. You know, as I sit on this call with you, you and I might have some similar behaviors, but we also have some very different ones, which make us very unique in how we filter the world what we prioritize, how we respond and how we react. So tell me a little bit like from your perspective, like what are you seeing out there um, from a leadership trend standpoint, maybe strengths or maybe challenge areas, maybe a bit of both. Yeah, I think one of them has crystallized to me in a, a bit of work I've been doing on the Stoics, but it was this concept that most of us are trying to escape our lives. We're trying to escape the reality of our lives. And I think a lot of leaders are questioning whether they want to be a leader at the moment. If you think about where organizations are going, they're taking layers out, the ratio one to 20, direct reports, the pressures, you know, all the pressure is landing on these leaders. And I think a lot of leaders are questioning whether they want to be a leader at the moment. If you think about where organizations are going, they're taking layers out, the ratio one to 20, direct reports, the pressures, you know, all the pressure is landing on these leaders to deliver on that. And that's, these are people who've gone through the pandemic like everybody else. They've had the stretch. They've had to deal with the families. They've had these, as we were talking about earlier on, they've had these resilience pressures uh, in their mind. So I think one of the big areas that we're seeing is, and it's a, a microcosm of the challenge about getting women to senior leadership levels is they look at senior leadership, role models, behaviors, um, and attitudes, and what it takes to get, and they just, I don't want that. So I think one of the biggest challenges that organizations are facing and leaders are facing is whether they want to be a leader, um, whether they want to do what it takes to be a leader uh, in today's world, uh, particularly in the hybrid environment. Yeah. feels like, and my experience has been, it's a bit of a thankless job. I mean, human nature, right, is very self-intended, right? It's very Mm self-focused. People are looking for two things constantly, control and safety. Yeah. Even more so than love and happiness. It's almost instinctual that we're constantly looking for control and safety. How do you encourage leaders through that, that thanklessness? Yeah, I was just about to say. I, I think the one thing for me is about community. So I'm going to put it down to community is one of the things that we try to create when we're either working with clients or in the cohorts of train, you know, people going through our training and work is to create the sense of community. Because I do think there's one is that there's a great book by John Alexander, which is down here in my um, list of books, 
he's written a book called Citizens, and he's back from the marketing and branding background. And he says, we've had the subject story, where we are a subject, where we went to work for somebody, we were the subject of the kings or queens or whatever else, and we, we therefore did what we were told. And then we went through the consumer story, and brilliant book on money that I've been reading recently, where we were told after the war, if we consume more, we build more, we do more, all of these things. And we're still in that consumer story in a lot of cases around the world. And leaders, therefore, are a soulless task of generating more, producing more with less to push it out the door. Um, and even sometimes in the training industry, it's about how can we get people to buy more of our training rather than actually getting them to buy the right training and develop the right right things. So there's a piece for me about citizens and he comes to the citizen stories. How do I become a better citizen? How do I create better communities in, in what we do? And for me, that's one way that we connect uh, on the leadership side because most leaders I meet, they wanna be part of something. They wanna feel connected to other people um, and they want a purpose. Uh, towards that. So most of our work is about connecting people to their purpose and to community. However, I would say that part of it is also working out whether they're cut out and whether they're the right person to be a leader in that space. Because it is, if you're passionate about people, it can be soulless as well because you care too much and you worry too much. So there's got to be the right type of person, the right type of resilience to them to be a, a people leader. Technical leader may be different. But people leader, definitely in my context, yeah. So I see something interesting here. And maybe what you were saying made me thinking about it, Colin, was mm. I see a lot of companies, and I have some clients who fall into this category, where they expect and they want their top sales professionals also to become top leaders. Yeah. Um, and I get that as a top sales professional in any organization, right? You're going to be in the limelight. Newer folks or inexperienced folks might model themselves after you. Mm -hmm. Having a top sales professional, very passionate about that organization, can really drive culture. So I, I see it from both sides. Mm. Um, but it's not always the easiest transition, nor do a lot of sales professionals want to make that transition. Yeah, It almost feels like some of the behaviors from a sales professional standpoint are very opposing to maybe some of the behaviors needed to be a very good leader, but I could be wrong on that. Um, and one, not one size fits all. So I just wanted to hear your thoughts on what do you see? What have you learned, experienced? Um, I think that would resonate with a lot of folks in our audience about making that transition from top salesperson to also being a good leader. I think it's a great point. I think the player coach piece is one of the other biggest challenges we're seeing in in leadership in the, in the business where you're asked to put a sales. I'm, I was coaching a very senior uh, financial services salesperson who, you know, was was achieving a billion a year sales. Yeah, so you can imagine motivated, but was trying to get people to live in their in their way, their behavior, their pattern. That was how he drove the rest of his sales team. But what he was doing was driving a wedge between himself and them, but also he was driving a wedge between them and the business, the wider business, because the brands that he was developing were okay in a one-to-one -one for his clients, but for a wider piece, there wasn't the right mix. It wasn't the right ethical standards around this, a number of things like that. So there's a piece for me that when I come to the player coach piece, one is 
my my hypothesis is that a good salesperson does not make a good leader. Yep. And actually, we should be celebrating that they're very good salespeople. And actually, you know, if my if my top salesperson, my business is getting paid more than me, oh, hey, thank you very much because they're delivering the the sales in there. But I think that's one level. I think the the second level is there's so many different ways to sell, as you know. I mean, it's your your philosophy. There's a a relationship sales, there's a technical sales. Um, and I, I just go to one organization that will remain nameless that are good friends. And they used to be so successful in having people who had very different sales patterns. And therefore, they could almost they could find the right client with the right salesperson, develop that. And they had nobody who was a salesperson at the top of the organization. They had somebody who was, who was just a brilliant person for connecting, engaging, all those different characters and personalities together just to say, how are you? How's your targets doing? structure and it wasn't in a sales context it was just some would say it was looking after their egos stroking them supporting them coaching them um, but they weren't a salesperson so my best examples of really good leaders in sales organizations are the ones who care about how they set the conditions for those salespeople to be successful and let them fly and that's that's where i would be so the player coach for me I mean, I'm suffering from it myself because I still sell for our business. Um, and therefore, you know, as an owner of a business, being one of the primary sales drivers, it's not an attractive proposition to know that I'm just about to go at some point for anybody want to come in and look at us as an organization. It's just so I've got to find a way of getting out my own way and finding and moving from the player coach to either going back to sales and get somebody to run the organization or saying that I'm actually just going to run the business till I stop running it, and then the business ends otherwise. Yeah, that's a probably, it's a very common, I think, dilemma, I think, mm -hmm. for entrepreneurs in particular. Entrepreneur holds the burden. I don't mean burden in a bad way, mm -hmm. but they do have the accountability and ownership of growing the business. It is their dream, or, right, they are the leader. So make the mm -hmm. sale, right? Yeah. At the same time, you start growing, and then the business needs start to add up, the things behind the scenes. Hmm. And the things behind the scenes take a lot of time. I, I've noticed from my own experience. Hmm. Um, but there's never that immediate gratification when you solve them. No. <laughs> but yet, when you're out selling, right, and you're building relationships, and a relationship turns into business, there's immediate gratification in that. There is, yeah. It's it's fascinated me because when I was selling for the pharmaceutical side, it was in a place, Nottingham, Derby and Leicester in the UK, and I was selling into doctors. And a lot of those doctors were Indian. So I just naturally built a rapport and relationship with the doctors, with the families, with the receptionists. So my celebration was I was getting invited to so many Indian weddings, which if you haven't been to one, is just amazing spectacles and experiences. So I was using that to to feed the relationships and I was getting sales on the back end of it. So I was celebrating. I got more out of doing that than sitting down, doing admin, finance, you know, numbers, you know, doing it. And actually, interesting enough, even doing the people side on our side for me is is stressful when it's your own business. You know, I can coach other people to do it. But th that's really where we started a principle about practice leadership. Uh, Dan, for our business, we started to say, if we are going to go and teach this, we've got to live it. 
So how do we practice leader, um, whatever we're teaching to clients uh, in the business? And that's been really a shift for and change for us. So I, I experiment, I have a go at things differently. I try to do the player coach and role in a different way. That's allowed me to, to find a different way of, of looking at, at the challenge. So when, you, when a company hires you guys, all right, I want to be careful here because I know it could be many, but what are the common problems they're trying to solve for? That's hmm. question 1A. And 1B would be, what approach do you, what approach do you take? So the A is a, an interesting one because I actually think a lot of the times they come to us with a problem which isn't the real problem. So they come to us with a, um, I've either got to do training, one, because this is what I've been told to do, or we've got a skills gap, two. The underlying piece for us is always that the culture is wrong and they're trying to shift something uh, in there. So whether it's when we do the training for, say, the internal audit functions in finance, one of the unexpected outputs of that was we were training their leaders, their people, um, to be better listeners, to be curious, to build rapport, build relationships. Now, we never foresaw that we would be on a report from the external auditors for financial services firms quoting us to say the reason that we're giving these people such a good rating is because Potential Squared are in applying their, their development pieces in there. So it turned out that it was a cultural shift that we were making with these with these teams and businesses. And, and I think that's where most of our work happens is because one of the things we do is we go in and we're developing their teams, but by the way, we're also partnering with the leaders to do that development. And we're giving them feedback, we're coaching them, they become friends. I mean, that's a common theme for us is we're still CFOs of big banks started off as coaches of ours along many years ago. And in fact, the head of City US at one point stood up in a, an event and pointed to one of my colleagues at the back of the room and said, the reason I am here today is because of this guy, Mike Taylor, at the back, um, the audience. So we're normally solving a training issue, but actually what we're fundamentally solving is shifting the culture through the leaders to allow them to, and role modeling what good looks like to them so that they're picking that that up. So that's normally the pain point is something that's, that they're trying to solve and we we work on i know before you get to one b yeah i forgot what one b is you know <laughs> maybe that's just age then one <laughs> b was what's your approach but we'll get uh, okay. to that we'll get yeah. to that in a minute culture hmm. um like i could think of an example we have a client that hired us to solve for two things one was they wanted more of their experts to be on the front lines of business development. Okay. So they could grow more organically, right? <clears throat> Pretty common, right? You might have four, five, six, 10, 12 people who are really good at business development, but you got 50 or 60 people who actually participate in it, but they're not in the front lines. And a lot of times a company might say, Hey, if we can get more of these 50 or 60 to engage in business development, that could equal X percentage of organic growth. Hmm. So that's one thing they were trying to solve for. The second thing they were trying to solve for is move away from the transactional sale. Mm -hmm. Let's become more strategic mm -hmm. so we can become deeper embedded 
into the strategy of our clients and potentially mm -hmm. charge more so we get top line and margin growth. One of my coaches starts doing the training probably about six months in this conflict. So here's the culture piece. Mm -hmm. Leadership wants the training because leadership wants those two items. Mm -hmm. The 50 or 60 that are being coached don't want those two items. Yep. The 50 or 60 don't want to be in business development, right? And they don't really want to change to be strategic. So that's culture. When I think of culture, I think that's a culture issue and a leadership issue, right? It is. And it's solving, Dan, for me, something that's, that, that I'll, I think I mentioned before, but I'll, I'll go back to it, which is building lives, leaders, and organizations people don't need to escape from. And I think so many people hold, try to hold on to their jobs. They try to come to work to do a nine-to-five job. And we're struggling with this in our businesses. Rather than actually coming in and seeing that they can crystallize something that they do is niche and is really special. You know, they, as one of my old colleagues was coaching me and she said, Colin, this imposter syndrome is getting in the way. So she used to go, are you the Colin Hunter? And I'm like, no, I'm just Colin Hunter. And she goes, no, no, are you the Colin Hunter? And I'm like, no, I'm just Colin Hunter. And after a while, I got what she's meaning. Unless I believe in myself, unless, unless I believe that I'm good and I am the Colin Hunter, yeah then what am I going to pass off to people that I'm working with? Now, take a simple thing like a, you know, a handling a telephone call as a sales administrator or account manager in the background. You can make somebody's day. And we, you know, we have a lady who's an ex-therapist who is now in the account manager, but she sat down with one of my clients at the back of the classroom where I was training one day. By the end of the day, best friends connected got more information sourced and that strategic connection had been built. So it's that 55 minutes of connection, five minutes of, of strategic direction. And I think what we tend to do is we try to train the sales rather than trying to release the individual inside who's got a very good, strong understanding of one particular niche area that can, they can work. In this case, relationships was her strength getting under the skin of somebody. And I I think that's where <laughs> you, organizations, literally. <laughs> relationships, which is getting under the skin of somebody. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. I don't think I've heard yeah. that one before. Uh, yeah. So for me, that's, and, you know, when he thinks she was a therapist before, it was literally on the skin or under the skin. So it's the, you know, for me, that's her. her, her Are you strength. saying maybe for all the people that I can get under the skin on, that means I have a relationship with them? It depends what, so this is an interesting debate. Let's go here. So it's, for me, I always had a, a philosophy in my life, which is relationships with a purpose. And people say, that's very clinical, Colin. So how would you treat your family and your daughters? And say, well, it's the same thing. I've got a relationship with a purpose. I've got a, to be a dad, to connect. And therefore, I've got certain things that I need to do as a father and other things in there um, that are essential for the growth of my daughters in this case. Same with, with people. I mean, there's a lot of people who you call me Marmite. I don't know if this works in translation. Marmite or Vegemite is a spread that you put on toast in the UK or Australia. And it, everybody says you either love it or you hate it. I used to have that brand as a, 
as a person, which people used to love me or hate me, yeah. But if I'd got under the skin, there was a particular person in the Philippines, and at a leaving do, he stood up and he said, three years ago, the person who was leaving, he said, uh, introduce Colin to, into my life. And at the time, I didn't like what he said to me, and I didn't like him. But three years later, I've now been promoted twice. I still don't like Colin, but what he said was true. So for me, that agitating for the future as a leader, relationship growth, isn't always about lighting fires in bellies. Sometimes it's lighting fires under backsides, as we would describe it, and therefore getting under the skin. I'm mixing my analogies here, Dan, but that's the principle of it, yeah. It resonates with me and probably my audience because we coach, there is a appropriate time and place where you need to get under the skin of the prospect mm. or the client. Yeah. Because it's very hard sometimes for a prospect or client to work through their own biases objectively and on their own. And those yeah. biases could be what's holding themselves or their organization back. And so we do teach a, a flavor of that. So that's why I kind of keyed in on that. I like the way you said <laughs> that. <laughs> I love it. It's Meister's trust equation, isn't it? You know, you talked about intimacy. I don't know, credibility plus reliability plus intimacy. And some of my clients still say, you're still teaching the trust equation. I said, the only reason I'm teaching is because it's data-based, research-based. And it says that a key differentiator of advisors is the ability not to be liked, but to get intimate and be very under the skin and understand the drivers of an individual very quickly. And that's what they would value and pay for. Yeah. That was Colin Hunter, founder and CEO of Potential Squared, sharing his insight on helping leaders build cultures of experimentation and play. Colin's interview will be concluded in an upcoming second part. Stay tuned for more conversations on how to build a thoughtful, innovative culture, and more importantly, mindset.